welcome to the Level Up Grappling Podcast. I'm your host, Ed, along with my co-host, Coach Brian. And um, this episode is about promotions, belts, moving up, progression, development. And so we're going to get into that discussion. But before we do that, once again, we want to thank all of our listeners so far. We have the 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 show's been growing. The show's been growing. We've been seeing it grow on um, Spotify. We've been seeing it grow up on Apple. And so we cannot thank everybody enough for your support, um, for listening in, um, and really just being a part of our community that we're trying to build here. And um, just a quick announcement that the Level Up Grappling Podcast is sponsored by PCI Jiu-Jitsu out of Mission Viejo under Coach Brian. And um, if you want to come by or if you need a gi, make sure you go check out Sanibal, right, Coach? Yeah, SanibalSports.com forward slash PCI Jiu-Jitsu. It's a perpetual discount code, so you can get 10% off everything that you do. We're brand ambassadors for Sanibal Sports. So you can go sanibalsports.com forward slash PCI Jiu-Jitsu. And if you don't see it on checkout, the discount code of PCI Jiu-Jitsu, just pop that in right before you check out. And you will be guaranteed every single time you purchase from Sanibal Sports a nice discount on behalf of us. So... Let's do this, man. All right. Very cool. So to get started, in total, I've been I've been involved in training and grappling for about four years total on and off. And again, my beginnings of grappling and, or jiu-jitsu has been under um, Greg Cooper, who was under Joe Marrera, and also Lam Pham. And I think he was finding out a CSW in Fullerton at the time. Um, and then in Korea for a year while I was there. So now I've been training underneath you, Coach Brian, for about six months. And though I was awarded my blue belt in Korea, I decided it was too long um, of a break in between training. And so I'm basically starting over as a white belt, no stripes. But having been in martial arts for over 20 years total now, I've been indoctrinated into earning my promotions pretty much every two to three months, right? The McDojos or the black belt factories, per se. Um, and uh, there is inside of me, there is this inner urge to want to rank up, to yeah. get my next stripe, to get my next belt. In fact, I did find my old original jujitsu white belt and it had four stripes on it. So I guess I was ready for blue belt back then too. So there's, there's a double whammy. <laughs> Never got past white belt in, in jujitsu. But anyway, um, you know, this again, this huge urge to just want to rank up. And I know it's not beneficial to me in a practical sense. Mm -hmm. And I know that it's an ego thing because I want to get promoted quickly. And so I, I find that whole situation, that dichotomy quite interesting, this inner battle for me of like, I know moving up is not going to be worth anything unless I'm actually learning, unless I am progressing. But at the same time, the ego of me says, well, how long am I going to be a white belt for? Mm -hmm. Right. So, so, when you look up, I actually did some research around it. When you look up, like, how long does it take to get a BJJ black belt on Google? Mm -hmm. It tells you eight to 10 years. Mm -hmm. And you hear this and all this and that. But, and this is kind of where the show title's coming from. So, as the old ad goes, how many taps does it take to get to black belt? <laughs> a one, a two, a three, <laughs> a four. <laughs> so, I'd like to discuss with you, coach, about mm -hmm. the meaning of progression development and really even just straightforward promotions in the grappling arts yeah. so you know what do you look for or how do you know as a coach that a student is progressing well you know i'll throw something back uh in honor of uh, our buddy steve silvers he actually mm -hmm. posted something the other day that i thought was really cool where he was actually he made a little post about um progression and he said that even if it's you have to remember that even if it's slow progression it's still progression and i think the the biggest issue that people have is they're trying to compare themselves to other other students in the room and you can't do that mm -hmm. it should be based completely on individual merit and individual development i'm I'm the type of person that I don't believe that you have to go and win a bunch of tournaments to be the next belt level. Um, I also don't believe that 
if you just show up with an attendance card, like some people do, some places, and you know, you know who's out there, that if you show up with an attendance card, mark the attendance card where every certain number of attendance days gets you a stripe, so to speak. I think that's complete bullshit. You, I need to see progress. And what do I mean by progress? I mean, everybody measures progress differently. But we do have a what's different about the PCI system. We have a very codified system. It's positionally yeah. based. Everything changes every 30 days. So I can directly measure your results and your progress from day one of the section to day 30. Plus, at the end of the month, there's a test. I don't charge for the test. It's just part of it. How well can you articulate back to me? Teach back. We do teach backs. How well can you teach back the material? I don't care what belt level you are at. You must be able to show me the material because that means you've digested it. So while I have people doing teach backs throughout the month, the formal teach back of all the material is articulated at the end of the month. And here's the thing. If you're showing up to class, you're, there is guaranteed improvement because what you weren't able to do on day one, you do have some understanding and ability to do it at day 30. And because it switches every 30 days, you're always in this mode of improvement. I like to follow the um, Japanese Kaizen methodology where it's micro improvements. I believe micro improvements are far more important than major drastic improvements. And ultimately, we have different types of learning, right? There's people that are kinesthetic learners, people that are auditory learners, people that are visual learners. So we have to be able to accommodate each learning style. Okay. And in addition to accommodating every learning style, you have to be able to measure the individual based on where they were from day one to day 30. This is what enables me to what I consider have a very fair and objective ranking system. So somebody can level up very quickly with me if I see the progress, if I see the understanding, because we're so concept-based. I don't show a thousand moves a month <laughs> and I'm not showing random shit, right? So as a result of that, if you can understand and articulate back to me conceptually what needs to happen, you're going to advance a lot quicker than somebody who just shows up and just tries to fight people on the mat. And I'm not a fan so, of mat bullies anyways. So. <laughs> <laughs> so as one of your students and, you know, I feel like, so I was doing a lot of kind of thinking through, you know, what is progression from, a, I mean, obviously you, you're giving that from a coach's point of view, having been the student and now teaching others. So as your student, what I've been kind of really experiencing, and again, I'm only speaking for myself, not any, any one of my fellow PCI members or mm. anybody out there, but I feel like it's a transition from conscious and deliberate movements mm. into full comprehension of the concepts. Right. And if you guys hear my daughter in the background, I apologize. <laughs> um, but that it's the transition from the physical movements, just getting the movements done versus actually understanding the concepts around them and then being able to execute them based on knowing and or sensing the position. Yeah. Okay. Because I'm talking grappling specifically. And when I, when, I think when it comes to advanced progression – it's almost having like Jedi powers to anticipate what will happen next and or taking control of the situation to force pun intended mm -hmm. the next position uh, or action. Yeah. Um, you have people that are naturally gifted, right? Ability wise. There's people that have natural attributes and they they can do like amazing things. My son is one of those types of people. The guy does stuff, you know, he's nine years old, but he can do stuff. I'm like, wow, that's really incredible. So sometimes it's things that I don't even show in class, but he does it because naturally he's just like, he figured out, oh, conceptually, this is what I need to do. So when I teach my kids, as an example, when I teach everybody the concepts, oh, you got to wrap the leg this way. You need to get up. You got to pull... He's like, okay, well, let me see how I can get there. So working with the concepts, it allows him to be more creatively active as an attribute 
based athlete where he can do stuff where I can't even do or where most people couldn't do. But that's not, that's a rare quality to have. That's not everybody. I think the average person, you have to reduce it down to, well, what's going to come first? The physical comprehension or the mental comprehension? I would rather you be able to understand something from an intellectual level and let your body catch up. The reason why is that enables self-coaching. So if you constantly know, okay, I got to put my foot on the hip, foot on the hip, foot on the hip, foot on the hip, as an example. Like when we're working the closed guard, I don't want your feet on the floor. I want your feet on the hip. So if you know, I need to put my feet on the hip. I need to grab the head a particular way or I grab the collar if I'm wearing a gi. And here's how I'm grabbing the hand. So if you know, and you can repeat the steps, right? You can repeat the grips over and over and over again. Eventually your body will catch up because you're telling the body what to do. And it's interesting. We're going to explore this. Uh, you know, we have a, a friend coming on, uh, a, a judoka, a very high level judoka coming on soon. He's really great. Uh, we'll talk, explore this more a little bit with him, but I do want to point something out. If you guys haven't figured this out yet, and this is something unique to, in my opinion, BJJ, solely to BJJ. Brazilian jiu-jitsu people don't like to drill. They don't like to rep things out. They want to learn something for two minutes and they just want to go attack each other. And that is completely the opposite of what an athlete should do. You can go look at any tennis player, any pro-level tennis player, go through all the, the greats, right? From, you know, Jimmy Connors and... Martina Navratilova to Roger Federer, Rafael Nadal, Novak Djokovic. I'm talking about history of tennis players over the last hundred years. How many times are they repping out a forehand, a backhand, a volley, a serve? Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of times. Mm -hmm. And it's not to make it perfect. There's no such thing as perfection. Okay? Practice doesn't make perfect. Practice makes better. Why? Because we're focusing on the practice and the drills For what reason? Well, the reason why we're doing it is we are doing it not to do it to the point of just so that we get it right. We're going beyond getting it right. We're we're drilling so that we don't get it wrong. We want to be at the level where you can't get you you just don't get it wrong anymore. It's just ingrained, it's ingrained in your body. Right? You you drill and you drill and you drill beyond, oh, okay, I got it right. What's next? No. Drill until you just can't get it wrong. It needs to be that wired into your mind-body connection, that wired into your DNA. And this is something that I believe repulses BJJ people. (laughs) Go to any wrestling room in the country, this is all they do. Drill, 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 drill. It's the same moves over and over and over again. There's what? How many punches in boxing? Four, five, six, whatever, however you want to dice it up. I can teach somebody the boxing punches, right? Very quickly. In under an hour, you can learn the boxing punches and learn how to box. Then it's going to take you the rest of your life to learn how to master boxing, to master those six punches. And what is it? Jab, 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 three million times. Cross, cross, hook, cross, <laughs> overhead, right? And, 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 and here's the thing. What do you think Floyd Mayweather does, right? Very famous boxer, Muhammad Ali, right? You go down the line of every great Mike Tyson. Do you think they would just go in there and just spar people all day long? Absolutely not. Sparring was probably less than 10% of their development. 90 plus percent of your development should be drilling over and over and over again. Where you're getting it right, you're doing it right repeatedly so you can't do it wrong. And one of the things that I do, I I know we may have touched on this before, is I believe it's important to stop the student if they're constantly repping something out the wrong way. Stop them in the middle and correct them so that they do it right. I don't want you to build a mind-body connection of making the wrong mistake. Yeah, I keep putting my foot on the ground. How many times have you made me do that over again? (laughs) Dude, I'll rip your foot apart. You put it on the floor, I'm going to break it. Yeah. Put your feet on the floor, people. It will be broken. Sorry, from a catch wrestler's perspective, 
Carl Gotch always said, give me the foot. I'm going to take it. <laughs> Don't give the feet. Okay. Yeah. That's a simple, you want to avoid a leg lock? Stop giving your feet. Okay. Stop putting your freaking foot on the floor. You need to start manipulating your body through space. Okay. So BJJ people have, are have an aversion to repetitions and drilling. They just want to roll because that's their like kind of, it's like a weird social camaraderie or something. I, I don't know. But that's, I, I don't, be- begin. yeah, I don't necessarily <laughs> believe that that's the right way to get better. And I know people will argue this and go, oh, no, 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 it's good to make all these mistakes. And then you eventually over time learn to do the right thing. Like, but why would I do that? Why would I constantly put my neck in the wrong position? Okay, I guys, I have three herniated discs in my neck. Two going one way, one going the other way. All touching nerves. Okay? My neck is retired, as my doctor likes to say. I also have bone spurs in that neck. It's all fusing itself together. My mid-back's fusing itself together. Bone spurs, herniations. How much of this was caused from doing the wrong movements repeatedly? Most of it. Mm-hmm. So when we say how many taps does it take to get to a black belt, I can say, why am I a black belt? I tap the most. And then there's this aversion to tapping. There's this ego involved. Like, I can't tap. I can't tap. Bullshit. You better tap. I tap. I have a rule at school. Tap early and tap often. Tap, 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 tap again. Keep tapping. If you don't like the position you put yourself into, tap. I don't care if there's a submission there or not. If you don't like it, tap, start over. Be like, you know what? I don't like how I, I got stuck in here. I did something wrong. Let me go back. The way that guard pass happened and then I just got smashed, you know, this is kind of hurting my body. Before I, I, I get to the next phase of being demolished, let me figure out what I did wrong. Can I try that again? Be be courageous. Ask your training partners, hey, can I try this again? Can I... Can, can you show me how you did that? I, I got to figure out how I, I need to improve. So conceptually, when we're looking at this, take your time. There's no rush. And I know it's hard to believe that there's no rush. But whoever your coach is, they should have the desire not to embarrass you. Now, sit and think about this for a minute. Okay. Do you want to be a purple belt that if you went to any other school or you went to a tournament, at best you're a two-stripe white belt? Sit and think about that for a second. If somebody artificially ranked you up, how good would you feel about them and about yourself if you started going somewhere else and lower belts were spanking you? Probably not very good. And I've seen it. There's people here in Orange County. There's McDojos here in Orange County that they're leveling up frauds, total con artists. I'm not going to name names. Maybe one of these days I will. But there's con artists. There's frauds. And this is what they do. Leveling people up, giving them stripes, saying, okay, you're a coach now. You teach the kids. You do this. You're going to teach the class. You're teaching the class. Lazy people. And then their their, their background is questionable to the point where if they actually rolled with a highly skilled blue belt or even an average skilled blue belt, they'd get wrecked. So why am I saying this? First of all, leave your ego at the door. We always say this and truly put your ego away. Come with humility, come to learn. Imagine this. Do you, (laughs) okay. Let's say you have to go in for surgery. Let's say you have a loved one that's going for heart surgery. Do you want a heart surgeon, your grandma, your your dad, your mom is going in for heart surgery? Do you want the heart surgeon that took his time through school, worked his way, and was precise with his learning and his training? Or do you want that heart surgeon that went to some Mickey Mouse Academy and all of a sudden claimed to be a heart surgeon after three years of training? So they had minimal training and was just like fucking up all over the place and whether or not your your parent or your loved one made it through the operation was like sketchy. That's how I look at it. 
I, I would never want to embarrass my students. That's my commitment to, to my students. I will never embarrass you. I want you to be so overprepared and so grounded in your training that you, when you go to another school, when you go to an open mat, or you're hanging out somewhere, people go, holy shit, how is this person XYZ belt? Why is this girl a white belt? Why is this guy a blue belt? And he's just battling with black belts. That, that's, that for me is the greatest gift that I can give my students is build them up to be solid warriors, right? Mm-hmm. To where they go, you know what? I'm enjoying this ride. I have faith in my coach when it's time, it's time. And I don't do it randomly. Typically what I do is, right, because we, we're on a 12-month cycle, mm-hmm. right? Again, we're the way we do things at my school is very, very different than really truly anywhere else in the world. We have a 12-month cycle. It repeats every 12 months, okay? It's an academic year. Halfway through, you should be eligible for one stripe. Halfway through, you should be eligible for a second stripe, If you're, as an example, if you're a white belt. So that would mean after two years, right, <laughs> that's four stripes as a white belt. Now, some people say, oh, that's too fast or that's too long. How could you do that? They, they should have, you know, their first stripe in 30 days. What? <laughs> 30 days? You haven't even gotten through one of my sections. What do you know after a month? Ask yourself, what do you, like, what do you, yeah, what do you know after six months? Go again, let's just take the medical school analogy. Do you really want somebody operating on you or a loved one if they're claiming to be an expert after six months? I say no. I would agree. And I challenge anyone to argue that point with me. Of course, there's going to be some genius out there that's like memorized all the books, has the, you know, precision hands of a, some kind of, you know, incredible robot or something and can do something. It's Doogie like, Hauser. Doogie Hauser. Okay. So how many Doogie <laughs> Hausers are there of 8 billion people? Four in the entire world besides Neil Patrick Harris? I mean, come on. Let's be realistic here. You better have somebody, you better take personal investment in your development show me something now can somebody get stripes faster than that with me absolutely but articulate the information to me show me that you understand ask me questions if you're one of my students you should be blowing up my phone you should be if you were not in class you should be on the phone with me asking me questions sending me videos what do you think of this what do you think of that how did this work why did this happen what would happen if they put their foot here? I want to see that you're thinking. I want to see that you are as obsessed with this as I am. I wake up thinking about this crap. I go to bed thinking about this crap. You know, I had years ago, I would have, you know, girlfriends and stuff like that. Wouldn't even want to sleep in the same bed with me because in the middle of the night, I'd be running drills while I was asleep. This is how obsessed I was. I would be running drills. It wasn't just me. When when my best friend Chuck comes on one of these days, he'll talk about it too. He almost, <laughs> but I was running drills, leg lock drills in the middle of the night. I'm like literally dreaming of things. This is so funny. I think I may have even said this to Chris Howder a few times, like stuff we would be doing on a Saturday morning. And then at night, I'd be like so obsessed with it. Whatever he, he was having me do, I'd be repeating it in my dreams. <laughs> You know, and there's like, you know, some, you know, girlfriend or whatever is in my bed and she's like screaming, what are you doing? What are you doing? Get away from me. Sleep grappling. I'm totally sleepwalking. Right. I was sleep grappling. (laughs) I know I'm not the only one that does this, but that's a, that's a real thing. Like when I feel a body next to me, um, you know, it's just like, wait, why does your arm feel like it's 50 pounds? My arm's not 50 pounds. I'm 180 pounds. How can my arm be 50 pounds? No, it's how you pressure yourself. Sorry. It's just wired, right? So the reason why I bring this up is we have to be patient on our journey. And again, I'll use the example of how I kind of went through this. I had multiple black belts before I went into jujitsu. 
Okay. So think about this. Mm-hmm. I already was a Hapkido black belt. I was a judo black belt. I was, a, you know, highly trained and highly decorated kickboxer, Dutch kickboxing background. So for me, in my mind, I was just like, well, why am I not getting jujitsu faster? How come I'm not a black belt after three years? Like, I was just making too many mistakes. Conceptually, I wasn't there. Everything was wrong. I wasn't some natural athlete. It's not like I was, you know, God bless Mark Schultz. I wasn't Mark Schultz who came in and then just started wrecking people because, you know, I'm an Olympic wrestler and that wasn't me. You know, I'm a dork. And I'm definitely not a natural athlete. So having to develop myself, and I think I've said this before, I think I was like, a. it took me 10 years to get to purple belt. And at the time, it was embarrassing because I spent so much time on the mats and I went, I was training at different schools. Obviously, Chris Howder was my master. But, you know, he was cool with me training at different places. And I was all over the place six days a week. I'm, I'm, I'm all over the place training. And he, uh, you know, he would see, but he always held me to a very high standard. And you got to be grateful for when somebody holds you to a high standard. Of course, would I get upset when other people are getting promoted around me? Hey, why did that guy get a blue belt? Or why is this guy getting a purple belt and I'm still a blue belt and I spank him all the time? Now, this guy got his brown belt, or this guy just got his black belt, but he can't submit me. And you got to look at it as personal development, right? But he, as an example, he had me so dialed in that by the time, you know, I had my purple belt graduation, right? And I had moved to Arizona for a few years, I was already teaching because that's how rooted I was and how well he trained me. Yeah. And people wanted the Chris Howder information because at the time, Chris Howder was still like this underground secret. Like, ooh, how do you get Chris Howder? You know, I was like, well, talk to me. I could tell you what I learned, you know. So I think when we are asking ourselves, well, how many taps does it take to get to a black belt? Also consider it's not how many times are you tapping people. It's how many times are you tapping? What are you learning from the experiment yeah. experience? If you are, if you're just constantly tapping people, you're in the wrong room. I believe you should be tapping way more than you are tapping others. If you really want to develop, you need to learn the science and the concepts of every position. And the way we have it codified, it's six positions, but just understand the body. It doesn't matter. You can say it's a hundred positions, say it's five positions, six positions. It doesn't matter. At the end of the day, map the human body and learn how to work with the body and what works, what doesn't work. Let's say it's a a particular type of choke, a north-south choke, right? How many times have you tapped from a north-south choke? How many times have you been able to escape a north-south choke? How many times do you then tap somebody with a north-south choke? How well do you know the positions? Like positional understanding. The more you tap, the better an understanding you have of what works versus what doesn't work and how best to develop your own reactions, develop subtlety, because the more I tap, the more subtle, the fine-tuned I become. Well, let's say I tap 10 times. Then let's say the next week I tapped four times. I don't look at it and go, oh, see, I'm still tapping. I suck. No, I'm like, wait a minute. I had a tap reduction. Mm-hmm. I'm more sensitive to the position now. I'm getting a better understanding and visualization for how the position works. And this, to me, is why it's so critical to focus on positions instead of a bunch of random moves, like you do at every, pretty much every BJJ school. They just learn random yeah. moves. That that that's kind of the thing for me. It's like, like you're saying, when I was originally training in jujitsu, um, you know. It must be an international thing because even when I lived in Korea, it was the same way. Here's the move. We might, quote unquote, rep it out a few times. And then it's, okay, let's go roll. Right. And it's interesting because as soon as it's time to just start rolling, you know, sparring, Mm -hmm. is that everybody wants to win. And, or I shouldn't say everybody. I would say that 
most people just want to win. Again, why? Because they don't they don't want to get tapped out. They don't want to do the tapping because if they do the tapping, they're the ones who aren't improving. They're the ones that are losing to exactly to your point. Yeah. Um, but I find it interesting because it's like, okay, great. How am I going to apply what I just learned into this session here? Mm-hmm. You know, and that's probably one of the biggest things that I struggled with was, okay, great. We learned this sweep or we learned that pass or we learned this defense or that attack. And then when they go to open rolling, all of a sudden it's like, well, I don't have a, I don't have a situation or, or, or an opportunity to use this to know whether or not it's going to work for me or not. Mm-hmm. And I think it's that, I think for a lot of what, you know, what I hear quite a bit and what I've seen quite a bit when in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu is this whole quote unquote part of the journey that as a white belt, you tap and tap and tap and tap and tap. And then all of a sudden something clicks out of nowhere. Everything just comes together and you get your first tap mm-hmm. and it's like, Wow. You know, then all of a sudden now you feel that you're progressing. Now you're part of the BJJ community. Now you're part of that school's family. Now you're improving. And all of a sudden now you're ready for the blue belt or a next stripe or whatever it might be. Um, which again, again, not to, not to just brag about PCI, but I have a high level of appreciation for how off, how much we rep out the, the, the positions and the, and the techniques. And, I'll tell you the truth that when I first came, came on, I was anticipating here's the position, here's the technique. Now everybody start rolling around. Yeah. Right. And I think I've only really quote unquote sparred or rolled around with anybody, including you, maybe a handful of times, probably I can count them all on one hand since I, since I've come to the school. Yeah. Other than that, it's just been repping and repping and repping and repping and repping, yeah. which I personally have come to understand why. And I've come to appreciate that because I'm able to then, yeah, I'm able to articulate things back to you at the end of the month when it's time for testing. Yeah. And I appreciate that you don't have testing fees. <laughs> so, I don't do, I don't do um, like ATA type of Oh stuff, God, that's right? oh. Yeah, that's not, that's, that's a, it's an interesting part of my martial arts history past, but, um, boy, well, it's not just them. Will, they all, um, I think there's so many jujitsu schools that do that too. They, you know, you have to pay a couple hundred dollars for testing and stuff like that. Yep. Yeah. Um, we were doing it every three months for our Taekwondo students. Yeah. And I think depending on, I mean, when I first started Taekwondo, it was like not that big of a deal. It was like, oh, this is just part of the program. 60 bucks every three months. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going through going up your color belt ranks. I think it was like four, 12, 13, 14 belts. But when I got to like some of these other schools and the school that I was teaching at, yeah, I mean, we were up like the 150, 175 every two to three months for belt testing plus another $30 belt fee to make them pay for the belt. Like wow. it's like, it starts to add up. Um, so when it comes to McDojo's, like, and I don't mean to trash talk any of my old schools because again, they're part of my development. However, you know, it's one of the things you say, as soon as you say, but you just negate everything you just said prior to mm-hmm. it. So, but it's like, yeah, there's, there, there's in the terms of business, there's a lot of money to be made there. Easy sure. money to be made because hey, you want your next belt. You want your purple belt. You know, you want your blue belt, purple belt, brown belt, pay up. You yeah. know, I'm not saying that you can, I'm not saying that you can buy a black belt. I mean, technically, okay, you go get one off the shelf, but. Oh, no, so you can't. There's actually, plenty of guys, dude, there's plenty of guys in the area in Southern California, high level, famous guys now that are selling belts. I'm not going to, I'm not going to out them. I'm not going to name any names. They know who they are. I'm talking about big schools, big institutions, mm-hmm. big teams that are now selling belts. Yeah. For as raw and offensive as level up grappling is, we do have a limit. Yeah. I mean, I could, I could go all out, but no, it's but... just like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'll keep it quiet. But so, yeah. So that kind of takes me to, to my next point is like, mm. you know, um, what does it mean to become a blue belt, a purple belt, a brown belt or black belt? Cause you know, I, like I said, I, I see all these memes on Instagram and stuff about, you know, these, these amazing stories and journeys of Brazilian jiu-jitsu students or grappling students or grapplers 
uh, about these characteristics of certain belts, especially in jujitsu mm-hmm. and the interactions or relationships between the belts, right? Especially between colored belts and white belts. And no, I'm not trying to talk about racism. Get your head out of the hole. <laughs> Strictly like how blue belts and white belts, inter- in, in, you know, interact, how purple belts and yeah. white belts interact, how brown belts and purple belts interact, how black belts interact. Because I remember when I first started all of this, like to say that, somebody's a black belt it's like oh there was mm-hmm. something there was something to be said about a brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt sure but i think today again i think there is a bit of dilution and i'm probably being nice about the bit of dilution part um as to what these belts mean um because then i you know you start to wonder like does belt even matter it, yeah Cause... yeah it's uh sorry i didn't mean to cut you off but like there's uh i don't know who does it I, somebody was saying i think jake shannon was saying the only belt we care about is the championship belt <laughs> you know at the end of the day i mean what are belts for belts are for measuring progress and for keeping people motivated but if you think about it there's no belt system in professional baseball there's no belt system in wrestling. You know, there's no, let's pick another sport. There's no belt system in basketball. There's no sp- belt system in the NFL, professional football. So uh, I've used the tennis analogy before, so let's go there again. There's no belt system in tennis. You're either you're pro or you're not. You're pro or amateur. If you're pro, you're ranked. I guess in amateurs, if you compete, you're ranked too, right? In, in the game of golf? It's funny. Yeah. You're amateur or you're a pro. Yeah. And the only difference is when you sign up for a tournament is checking the box that says pro. <laughs> That's, That's it. literally it. That's it. That's it. You could be the last ranked guy, but you're still a pro golfer, right? You walk home with a bag of peanuts and 50 bucks, but hey, I'm a pro golfer. <laughs> so on a completely different note, I'm going to, I'm soon to be having my first golf lesson. So we're going to see how that works out. I'll just for the hell there. of it yeah um, i can help you there i'm gonna i got a golf lesson coming up so we're gonna see nice. if i can do it i don't know but so here, here's how i'd let this is how i want to articulate the belts to people in terms of what it means and how i codify it so to speak and i think if everybody just wraps their head around this everybody can be at ease and understand why it's so personal and why it's so individual okay so let's look at it like this. I'm going to use the analogy of language when we're talking about the belt ranking system. In we're going to use the term submission grappling because some people wear the gi, some people don't wear the gi. We're just going to call it submission grappling. It's grappling with a submission component. And you better start standing, goddammit. <laughs> you better be a stand, but that's we're having that's another podcast. We're going to have the start standing or stay home uh episode. But Okay, so I look at it like this. Analogy to language. White belt means you are learning the words of language. Car, dog, house, shirt, boy, girl, you know, pizza. You're learning words, okay? The foundation of the white belt is vocabulary. The foundation of blue belt is creating sentences with the vocabulary. How well do you put a sentence together? The chicken ran across the road. The car is in the driveway. My house is on fire. (laughs) These are sentences used from the vocabulary I learned as a white belt. Now as a blue belt, I start to make sentences. But if you noticed the three sentences that I just made, were completely non sequiturs, meaning they have no relation to each other. They're sentences, though. So that is the degree of articulation a blue belt would have. They make sentences. So what's a purple belt? A, a purple belt is somebody who can write an articulate paragraph. Okay? So I can put a paragraph together. 
What's a paragraph? If you don't know what a paragraph is, get a dictionary and learn what a paragraph is or go back to school. Shame on you. If you're listening to this, you should know what a paragraph is. So our vocabulary develops into sentences. Sentences can be non sequiturs. They can be random. But how we organize our sentences becomes a paragraph, right? You have the body of the paragraph. You have your introduction. You have your conclusion. You start to have a well-thought-out concepts and ideas. That's the purple belt. The brown belt is proficient at writing an essay. Okay? So what's an essay? An essay is more than one paragraph. It's multiple paragraphs chained together following the same flow and thought where we have a topic like this. How many taps does it take to get to a black belt or any topic you choose? And a brown belt is the one that can articulate and create an essay, not just one paragraph, but an entire essay and turn it into the teacher and get a good grade. Like an A. Hey, I got an A on my essay, right? So it's well done. There's no punctuation errors. There's no grammar errors. Okay. You're articulating yourself in the way, you know, such a way where you have a constant communication, a flow of thought from beginning to end within multiple paragraphs. So that's what a brown belt is defined as by me. And if everybody started listening to this and adopted this, watch the quality of people just shoot up. This is how easy this is to do. But again, I have an education background, so it's, I'm using this as an academic. Now, what's a black belt? Get ready, drum roll. Black belt is a published author. So we went from essay to a book. You went from an essay to a book or a complete article in a newspaper or a magazine. A published author is somebody that now creates content, who has content, who has not just one essay, not two essays, but multiple essays that can then be compiled into a book that could then be published into something. Doesn't mean that every black belt has to go and write a book or make an instructional video. That's not what I mean. But it's their communication within grappling is so fully formed that they are articulating, regurgitating, and then sharing and repeating to others. So if we just circle back on this, step one, white belt, vocabulary words. Step two, blue belt, sentences. Putting sentences together. Step three, purple belt, you're writing, know how to, learning how to write a paragraph, and you become proficient at writing paragraphs. Step four, brown belt, you're right there. You're writing essays. You're writing full-blown articulated essays. Step five, black belt, you're a published author, and you've got your own book that you can then distribute to others. The black belt needs to be distributing to others. It's the give back stage. And then you're starting back all over again as a white belt, and you're relearning because now you're collecting books, and you should have a library where you're collecting books from other masters. And you go, oh, I didn't know about this. I didn't know about this. Let me relearn this thing. Let me understand more fine details here. So does that make sense, Ed? Yeah. Would you consider the degrees of black belt as the collection of books? Yeah. Okay. I, I mean, it's so arbitrary because we have to acknowledge that the degrees of black belt as an example are really just more time and rank than anything else. I know like within judo, we have a little bit different in terms of how we have to express certain material. Mm -hmm. Okay. You know, this, 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 and this is for this degree. You have to know this plus this plus this, and here are the katas that you show. And there's a lot to demonstrate, right? So it could be demonstrated, but yeah, I mean, it's really like, what are you collecting? And at the end of the day, let's keep in mind the Gracie's invented their own belt system. They constantly changed ranking requirements because they were trying to keep the hierarchy of them at the top and everybody else at the bottom. That's all it is. This mm -hmm. is undeniable fact. You, this is, you cannot dispute this. As we have already discussed, there is very little to no evidence that the Gracie's, any of the Gracie's trained directly with Maeda. 
there's a possibility they trained with a student of Maeda. Okay. So let's just say they trained with a student of Maeda. Then they gave themselves belts. And then they decided to make their own ranking system, change rules so that they could try and, you know, be successful. That's what happened. That's the actual history. And the belt system has changed for years. Yeah, that's something I've always been curious about um, is how, okay, I'll take, for example, um, Taekwondo. Mm. So you have the World Taekwondo, you have the International Taekwondo Federation, and you've got the ATA. Those are probably the three biggest players in the Taekwondo world. And in my personal opinion as to how Taekwondo has evolved was it started with the ITF, then the WTF or WT became the big kind of mother parent organization, which is what we see in the Olympics now, which in my personal opinion, Taekwondo today is nothing like it was when I was training and what I was training was nothing like it was in the early days. And then you have the ATA. I always was curious, like how these founders, and I guess this applies even directly to what we, what you're talking about in terms of the Gracie Jiu Jitsu, the Gracie family of, you know, where, how do these belt systems come to be? Where do they, who awards what, you know, and, um, how does, how does, if somebody was, you know, if, you know, I, I did Taekwondo for God, 15, 18 years, maybe. Um, and I stopped promoting, I never really cared to promote after second degree. In fact, I was a first degree black belt in Taekwondo for probably at least seven to eight years before I even decided to test for second. Um, And it's just never something that occurred to me to want to have to get up in degrees. Now, I think publicly perception wise, when you hear it from other people, it's interesting. It's like, oh, he's a sixth degree black belt. Oh, he's a ninth degree black belt. And that's the thing. I mean, I, I'm going to bash on the ATA, but <laughs> it's like you get your black belt. Okay, great. You're a black belt. You get your second degree black belt. Okay, you're a black belt. And all of a sudden at a certain level, like fourth degree, you're considered like, or like yeah, fourth degree, you're like a master. And then like fifth degree, you're like senior master, chief master, senior master, chief master, uh, grandmaster. And then like when you're dead, eternal grandmaster. You know, they'll award you the 10th degree. 10th degree is a perfect number. So you can't be perfect until, right. unless you, you know, excel, yada, yada, yada. So like my brother, I think is a fourth degree in Taekwondo now. And, you know, I've, again, I've always had my second degree. I've been second degree for years and years and years and years and never decided to test. And so I just find it interesting of like how, especially if you are establishing a style, establishing a, your own system you know, how that works, because I think there's something to be said, like, you know, obviously with PCI, we're following the, the Brazilian jiu-jitsu belt system. I get it. We have a lot of respect for jiu-jitsu in, in terms of the art, again, through Chris Howder, through your training with Chris Howder, um, your, also your traditional backgrounds in Hapkido, Judo, you know, the sort of Sambo in there, right, and all that, Um it's, I find it interesting as to what these belts mean. In my opinion, in Taekwondo, they've commercialized it quite a bit <laughs> to there's like 12, 14 belts, you know? Yeah. And, you know, in a sense, you could say the same thing about, about jujitsu because it's four stripes per belt. It's just that there's less belt colors in between. But then, you know, you start to see a lot of different things, the gray belt coming out, right? You got the kids belt system going on and you start to wonder where, where's the balance between tradition or art versus business? Because yeah, the more belts you have, the more you can charge. <laughs> and so, but at the same time, it's like I said, in Taekwondo, there's 13, 14 belts. It, I, you know, I tested every two to three months for my next promotion. And then it didn't slow down until you got to, until you got into black belt where they were like, if you're a first degree black belt, you must wait one year. If you're a second degree black belt, you must wait two years. Third, third, uh, third degree black belt, you got to wait three years, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so I remember as a kid, when I first started martial arts, I would, I mapped it out. Okay. So if today I started Taekwondo this, and then in three months I'll get my orange belt. And then in three months I'll get my yellow belt. Da, 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 da. And then I can be a ninth degree grandmaster 
by the time I'm 78 and a half. (laughs) 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 But it's interesting because it's only, it was purely for the sake of rank. It was never about what I learned. It was never about the expertise. Now, again, this, I'm not speaking on behalf of everyone. This is just my personal experience with it. And so coming into jujitsu, it was like, yeah, I probably got a stripe every three to four months when I first started and I could not, you know, it's funny. I was actually on YouTube and I was looking for, and I ran across some of my old original jujitsu days. My old coach had uploaded videos onto YouTube and I didn't know about this until now. It's like literally 10 years later that I find these videos on YouTube (laughs) (laughs) and I sit there like even just after six months of learning under you, I'm going, what on earth was I doing? Like now I, I will admit that because the mats were so thin at the school we were training at, which is my old ATA school is that, you know, everything did start from the ground. They separated stand up fighting versus ground stuff. And there was no, rarely were we able to, to work on takedowns just because again, just for liability and injury sake. But it was interesting starting from the knees and just seeing what I was doing back then. And in essence, I was kind of like just pulling guard or, purposely letting myself be pulled into someone's guard and so it like like i said coming to pci has been revolutionary in in my eyes of like stand-up was weird for me when you first told me to like dude tuck your hips i'm like what are you talking about i don't get this i don't understand tuck your hips in i was like what do you want me to do like you know basically it's like my groin's basically up against another guy's groin at this point like is that what you want you're like yes get your hips tucked in right and so learning all of that. And so it, I think talking through this and, and listening to your perspective on it, it's, it's provided me a lot of perspective on, you know, yeah. Do I want my blue belt? Absolutely. Do I want my black belt one day? Absolutely. I will say on a side note, it's almost, I almost find black belt. It's going to sound weird. I almost don't care about earning a black belt in, in grappling or in jujitsu. Because it's, it's such a foreign concept to me that it seems so far away that gaining a blue belt is more exciting to me than getting a black belt as of right now. But yeah. like you said, I think it's like once you're a purple belt, it's just more of a matter of time. We said that, I think, on the Steve Silvers episode. But, yeah. but for me, it's like, yeah, you know, I think earning a blue belt is extremely motivating for me personally. Um, but there's a there's a high level of appreciation and perspective from 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 where i stand as your student to understand it's just it it is about the development and it's it's interesting when i'm not in my gi or you know you know have my no gi stuff on if i'm not getting ready to train i think about this stuff but as soon as i put my gi on and my, my belt on i don't care that they have no stripes on it i don't care that you know because I have learned that it is the concepts it's, you know, I remember when I first talked to you on the phone about just my filling out the interest form on PCI. And I told you, I said, there's two reasons why I'm doing this. One, I, you know, I have a one-year-old daughter and I have a total dad bod and I'm trying to get rid of it. You know, I don't want to be a part of that trend. And two, it's because I wanted to learn how to fight because uh, there was almost this self-confidence thing of like, I need to be involved in martial arts because it's a part of who I am. And if I don't do it for a while, I feel weak. I feel very, my confidence goes down. And so being a part of this, it's like when I put the gi on and get ready for class, for training, you know, I don't, I don't care about the stripe. I literally am seeking, you know, again, this path of self-discovery for me is I'm seeking to, as Kung Fu, as it sounds, become one with my inner warrior (laughs) and to embrace that aggression. So I don't mean to take this off on a tangent about from belts, but I think, I think there's that, that concept of journey is there from white to black. You know, I think there's a visual con there's a visual journey that one can take, but it's interesting for me, from my perspective of what is this journey all about? Yeah. I agree with you. And, uh, you know, a couple things I wanted to touch on. The BJJ belt system is basically just the judo belt system. It's not any different. 
the Gracies changed time and stuff like that, like I said, just to keep their hierarchy. But I, the way I look at it is I follow the judo belt system because <laughs> uh, it's just a little bit more, the feeling of it is more traditional to me. You know, that's mm -hmm. I, it's something I'm very close to. Obviously, we'll talk about this on another podcast. <clears throat> Personally, I believe people should, in all honesty, start with judo first. Um, because or any type of stand-up grappling, I believe you should start with that first before you just flop onto the ground. Because when they say, "Oh, well, there's seventy percent of fights, eighty percent of fights go to the ground," well, it doesn't mean both of us go to the ground. I can punch you and you hit the floor, and I'll still stay standing. But a hundred percent of fights start standing. One hundred percent of fights start standing. So if you don't know how to master the stand-up portion of grappling, you're in for a rude awakening in a real-life situation. So to me, I, you know, yeah, black belt in both styles. I, I look at it, though, as because the, it, the Gracies modified judo uh, just in order to be more successful at their challenge matches, which is really what it was if you look at it. Um, it really goes back to, okay, well, let's focus on the judo aspect, right? Because I focus on the judo. We focus on catch wrestling. Um, yes, the, the stuff that that is that kind of, and we'll get into another, this into another episode, the contribution of the Gracies, so to speak, was the um, time spent on your back mm -hmm. and how the guard evolved. Um, but one thing I think everybody should consider, regardless of what belt you're at, the lower the belt, the less of the expectation. Okay. So if you're in a room, if you're a white belt or blue belt, but you can hang with the purple belts and brown belts, you know what? That's awesome. And the teacher, other people are going to be like, oh man, that one's tough. He, she, she, she can go and scrap with the brown belts and she's a white belt or she's a blue belt. That's a better look than being a brown belt and you're like, oh my God, you know, I'm getting smashed by, you know, a white belt who's been training for six months or a blue belt who's been training for three years, right? So always realize that the lower your ranking, there's always this upside. Mm -hmm. And then the higher your ranking, especially when you get to black belt, there's a huge target on your back. And you have this unrealistic expectation to always be able to smash everybody in the room. And it's just, it's unrealistic as far as I'm concerned. And we shouldn't be holding people that expectation because age matters, weight matters. There's a lot of factors in terms of how people are competitive with each other in terms of rolling and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, I think the measurement, the true measurement is can you articulate the information back, right? How well can you articulate it? How well can you demonstrate? How well can you give back to others? Can you pass it down clean? Not modified based on your attribute set, but can you pass it down as it is, the way you learned, the way it was taught to you authentically? Now, unfortunately, because 90% of people teach their game these days, most schools, the guy, whoever is the instructor, male, female, whoever, they just teach their game. So it's that's how it becomes watered down or that's how it becomes very divergent. So you can say, Oh, I'm a black belt in jujitsu. I'm a purple belt in jujitsu. Okay. But what is that? What does that qualify as? If your teacher is a Barambolo player or if they, they do some kind of fancy move and that's their style and that's all they teach. Now you're a purple belt in Barambolo. <laughs> unless you, unless you really have foundational instruction, you're a purple belt in a particular game you this is where it becomes like kung fu theater what i watched when i was a kid the praying mantis versus the dragon style versus the drunken monkey then it becomes it becomes all that so don't worry about at the end of the day we'll wrap it up with this 
I don't want to be long winded with this, but just focus. Less than 10% make it from white to blue. Less than 10%. And then it's like another 10% go from blue to purple. If you get to purple, you're going to get to black. But you got to make it to, you, ultimately, you have to make it to purple. You got to go from building a vocabulary to learning to write sentences to learning to write a paragraph. Once you get the paragraph, you will become a published author. You just have to keep showing up. Just show up to class. That's it. It's And then with our system, it's very simple. You literally have to show up to class because it changes every 30 days. But you have the material. You have the syllabus. You know exactly what you're learning. You just have to apply it, you know, and focus. Mm-hmm. So just regardless of where you're at, hopefully you have a coach that isn't going to embarrass you by giving you a belt you don't deserve. Be more concerned with that than being stuck in quote stuck in a belt that you think you've been in too long. I'd rather like how I was, I was a blue belt for five years. I want to say Chris Howder made me a blue, belt. I was a blue belt for like five years and a white belt for like five years or something crazy like this. Okay. But tell you what, man, I could scrap with the brown belts and the black belts. I'm like, dude, what the fuck? Why is this guy still a blue belt? Right. And then I told that story of like the day I got my purple belt or when he said, okay, Brian, you're a purple belt. It takes time, but that was the reward for me. I was like, okay, I did. I, I, I leveled up my grappling to where he was just like, okay, now you're showing me what I wanted to see. He wanted to see a certain level of aggression from me. He wanted to see a certain level mm-hmm. of articulation of my knowledge. Right? So when I'm talking about this from a vocabulary standpoint, from a literary standpoint, this is why this is so important. This is an important analogy and an important visualization for people to have. Vocabulary to sentences, sentences to essay, or sentences to paragraph, paragraph to essays, essays to published author. If you understand these concepts with the ranking system, nothing will stop you from literally leveling up and getting to that goal. It's how you articulate yourself. It's how you put it together, and it's the depth of your understanding that's going to make it work. Awesome stuff. Awesome stuff. Uh, just a quick thing, <laughs> man, I don't know how to follow up with that, but, um, powerful stuff, coach Brian, appreciate it. Um, just a quick reminder, we, uh, again, huge shout out to all of our listeners. Um, and again, thank you guys so much for your support, for listening on the episodes, um, on Spotify, on Apple or wherever you're getting us. Um, we can't thank you guys enough for being a part of this community, being willing to listen to our rawness, our offensiveness, um, really just everything that we, we're, we're talking about because we're doing this, you know, for as much as I say that we're doing this for everybody, it's, I'm also doing it for myself in the sense that I'm growing again to today's point. I'm a white belt, no stripes under coach Brian for about six months now. And just trying to understand and learn everything and what that journey is going to be like. It's, it's, it's been an interesting one to say the least, just even in the first six months, but um, we are here for you guys. We want to see everyone's grappling level up, pun intended. <laughs> you know, um, we want to see ourselves level up as well. And so, and we would love to see this podcast level up. So we would greatly appreciate if you guys would leave us a review and um, a rating on it. It really helps us helps us out um, so that we can get you uh, more new and more content. Like uh, and subscribe. This. Like and subscribe. Yeah. Make sure you that. smash that like button and smash that subscribe. Don't forget yeah. to hit the ring bell to notify, yes. get notified whenever we put a new episode out. Oh, and hey, we start we, a YouTube channel. We, yeah, we are, we do need it. We need to put that on YouTube. <laughs> we also need guys, uh, July 15th, we have the Master of Pain, Joel Bain, coming to PCI Jiu Jitsu for a four hour no gi catch wrestling seminar. So it's just no gi guys. So no excuses. It's $60 for hours, July 15th, Saturday, July 15th from 1130 to 3:30, exclusively at PCI Jiu Jitsu in Mission Viejo, California. Sign up today. You can go to Eventbrite. You can check us out online. Um, hit us up on Instagram and uh, you can get all the registration details there on Instagram, but 
60 bucks for four hours. You're crazy if you don't show up to this. It's no gi. Everybody can do it. It's for all levels. I don't care what level you are. You can be a beginner. You can be the blackest of black belts with the most stripes. You can be a corral belt. I don't care. Come learn something different. Come have fun and let's level up your game with the master of pain, Joel Bain. And also anything you need sports wise, sanablesports.com forward slash PCI jujitsu. It's a perpetual discount code. Every time you use the PCI jujitsu discount code, you will get 10% off all of your purchases. Okay. It's our gift to you. So get out there, get grappling, ask us questions, man. We're here for you. We don't charge any money for this podcast. You're getting all kinds of free instructions. So don't be foolish. Keep listening, show up to class, come hang out with us, ask a lot of questions, and we'll see you on the mat July 15th with the master of pain, Joel Bain. Awesome. Good stuff. Thanks, Cole. Thank you. Thank you.